0: Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'll summarize the past two Sundays and today with, with three words. Transfiguration, temptation, and trust. On the last Sunday of Epiphany, we went to the mountaintop with Jesus and witness the transfiguration in which he was revealed to his disciples in the context of uh, God's saving work. On the first Sunday in Lent, after seeing Adam and Eve falling prey to temptation, we then see Jesus resisting the three-pronged attack of Satan in the wilderness at the start of his ministry. And today we have the subject of trust embodied in the patriarch Abraham uh, and reflected on in the writing of St. Paul. And then again, um, there's a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Abraham is the ultimate trust in the Lord kind of person. He's asked to leave everything behind and go to a new place unknown to him and begin a new life uh, at God's word. And for a person whose identity would have been grounded in land, in ancestry, and in family, this was a risky endeavor. Yet he leaves country, kindred, and his father's house uh, to go to a new land, an unknown land, with the promise that he will found a great nation. Now, if somebody announced that they were going to do that some um, that God had called them to do that today, we'd put them on tranquilizers or wonder if we had a a new cult leader in in the making. But of course the point is that uh, that Abraham was not deluded or demented. And his developing relationship with God had led him to this place of trustful action. You really have to read the whole Abraham cycle in Genesis to to understand how this relationship grew into one of, of complete and then time-tested trust. And Paul, in the letter to the Romans, recalls Abraham as uh, as our ancestor, uh, as the one who without works trusted God. There is, in Paul's mind, a great reward for those who trust in God without evidence or in the face of doubt. And again, trust comes out of a relationship that grows and flourishes, sometimes amid hardship and suffering. And Paul makes the point that Abraham is not rewarded uh, for being or for doing good, but for being faithful, trusting that God knows what God is doing and that God will know how to use him as an agent for the plan of salvation. For Paul, that is enough. I have to ask: Is it enough uh, uh, for us too? Nicodemus had trouble with this. He, a, a righteous man, he'd come to Jesus at night so his colleagues wouldn't see him, um, and something in him had been stirred by what Jesus was teaching. But probably the little voice was there: "Don't get taken in. Be careful now. He'd come to check Jesus out a little more closely." And you can feel the tension in their conversation. And John the Evangelist uses this conversation, and Nicodemus only appears in John's Gospel, by the way, uh, as a platform for his famous phrase, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And after hearing that, uh, Nicodemus is treated to a a revelation. That God, that great supreme judge eternal, um, is not so much interested in condemnation, as in salvation. People who trust in God are saved. Uh, Life in the Spirit is living in trust, even in the midst of, of what can sometimes amount to despair. And the Spirit blows the breath of trust into us at the times we most need it. Now, trust in the Lord, the preacher is telling you, but of course it's easier to do that in theory and in practice. It's easy for me to stand here and say that without much going on that, that um, should, should, would bother or frighten me. Um, so I'll tell a story about a, a colleague of mine. I've used this story over the years. Uh, a colleague in migrant ministry, a, girl called, a woman called Connie. Um, who's been to Mystic Connecticut? Yeah. You know, there's a huge big church that dominates. Um, um, the, 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 and it's, the, it's the Mystic Baptist Church. And Connie's uh, dad was a long-time minister of that church back when. And um, Connie's mum had died, and her dad was disconsolate. He just couldn't get over the terrible grief that he felt. And so Connie said, What would you say to members of your congregation in a time like this, Dad? And he's, he, he, she asked him, and, and he said, I tell them to trust in the Lord and rest in the everlasting arms. And she said, so? And he said, well, I tried it, and it doesn't work. It's a very sad story. uh... So it's easier to to say these things, but trusting the Lord is not like taking an aspirin when you have a headache or whatever it is people take these days. What do we do or where do we turn when the rug is pulled out from under us? When we're faced with a loved one afflicted with aggressive cancer at too young an age, if ever there's a right age for that to happen. What do we do when a life partner tells us it's all over? And uh, what do we do when uh, we, um, when denial or mistakes face us with a tsunami of, um, of money problems? It's easier to type than it is to, to say. <laughs> Uh, experiences like these happen to people every day. Job loss and sickness, being a victim of crime, losing loved ones. All these events confront us with a question can we trust in a God who seems to allow these things to happen? And I have to say, uh, as Connie's father found out, that there's no easy answer here. There is, however, the journey of Lent, uh, which we are in presently, and which travels from transfiguration to treat us about trust. And if we make that journey that ends at the foot of the cross on Good Friday, where we hear Jesus' cry on the cross, quoting the 22nd Psalm, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then we are ready to discover that God always keeps promises whether we trust God or not. Like Jesus, we might sometimes find ourselves in a place where we can only feel and then cry out in our hearts, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But the bigger story, the powerful affirmation, will eventually make sense as we make that Lenten journey again and again, year after year, and uh, and with Abraham and with Jesus experience a growing trust uh, in God. A trust that's um, shown to us in the the ministry and passion, and then what came after of our Saviour. Now, um, if I were sitting there instead sort of standing up here, I don't know if these words of mine would by themselves sustain me if I were faced with a terrible anguish like Connie's dad. But I do believe and I do trust that God does reach out to lonely and hurting hearts and tries to help to find a way uh, through anguish and beyond that to healing and to restoration. And uh, last week I had a vision, I came to that vision of Jesus heading off onto his ministry, not knowing um, how it would work out or what he should do in fact, day by day with his hand in the invisible hand of God. And... uh, I have, from time to time, in moments of pain and need, felt that hand brush against me. And I know that many of you have felt the same thing. This time of Lent and the spiritual journey that it offers stretches out before us. And there is a ways to go before we come to that empty tomb at Easter And then contemplate the experiences that Jesus' followers and friends had in relationship to that empty tomb and how it transformed their lives and how something happened there that answered for them the wider question about God's intentions and God's trustworthiness. May we also come to find our own answers as we take the journey ourselves. Amen.